Sergio, if you like what we're doing here, if you support the show and you want to give support to the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash let's talk native. And if you do so, we'll provide you some exclusive content and some things that uh, others aren't going to get when you get it. So support us by going to Patreon. Yahweh. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sego, and welcome to Let's Talk Native. I'm John Kane, and I want to talk about our changing demographics. And that's not an easy thing to talk about because it's, it is connected to who we are and identity and so much uh, you know, of the, those kinds of things that I've talked about in, in the past. I mean, if we're going to talk about native demographics, you know, the first question is, well, what's a native? And, and of course, we get into everything from blood quantum to, you know, whether somebody is a Native American, so an American of Native descent, as opposed to somebody who supports Native sovereignty and, and, and is a part of a, a Native community and, and Native governance and all of that stuff, or whether they, you know, they, their grandmother was a Cherokee princess or, or, or all of that, that, that dynamic between self-identifying as a Native American and, and living as a Native person. So when we talk about demographics, we have to take into account that we do have a bit of an identity crisis. Not everybody has it, but to look at us as a whole, there's a lot of blurry lines associated with, with how you define what a Native person is. So when you want to talk about demographics, now you have another problem. So first, let me, let me use some of the basic data that's out there. And, and by some estimations, 70% of Native people and again, using that, that term liberally, live off Native territories. They don't live on Native territories anymore. And look, we've seen this, we even see this in Hawaii. I mean, the, 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 the people who have been essentially driven, financially driven off of their territories because of the limited real estate and you know the, the role that militaries played there and tourism and all that other stuff. Some people had to leave Hawaii because they couldn't afford to live there. Now here... It's not exactly the same thing. What we see in native territories in, on the continent is that because of lim limited opportunities on our territories, we have been indoctrinated into this idea of what success is. And so we view our best vehicle for success as pursuing something off our territory. So we've had a gradual exodus of native people from our territories. And, and part of it is because, again, limited opportunities on our territories. I mean, and, and to be specific, there, in, in many territories, there is no opportunity. There's nothing, there's no employment other than working for the nation or the tribe or the band or whatever, however they identify. So 
you look on many native territories and the haves and the have nots run right along the lines of whether you work for the administration, the native administration associated with that territory or not. So that changes, uh, you know, the demographics. And of course, we also start to put a higher priority if, if that's where the, the have and have nots are on education. So what does that education look like? Well, that education is what you're going to get off territory. So with that education, we also start to see, well, the opportunities, unless you work for the native government back home, if you want to use that education that you were encouraged to get, then you've got to, you've got to look to use it off territory. So that whole dynamic about being a native person who lives on a territory and, and is more involved culturally and community wise within their community, within that community or in the, in the governance or problem solving on a territory is different than if you left your territory to pursue, you know, I don't want to make it sound in a negative way, but pursue fame, fortune, you know, success or advance your education. And perhaps you, you know, you study medicine or law or business, but if you study all those things, you're not necessarily going to find the opportunities back home. So it changes our demographics. It also changes our perception about what is a successful native person. Look, we, if you look back, you know, coming out of, you know, pre-civil rights era, there was, uh, you know, most of the work that we had started shifting, you know, off territory as, as an, um, um, a Mohawk, uh, you know, in, in my community, many of the men pursued work in high steel. They saw an opportunity, circumstances, you know, created opportunities for native people to work high steel uh, in, in the construction industries. And that became its own form of assimilation. And, you know, so we left our territories. We worked off territory. Oftentimes we would, we'd, ha we'd, we'd have two homes. We'd have one in the city. So we could work on those high, uh, on those, you know, those high buildings, those, those skyscrapers. And then we'd go home on the weekend or maybe we'd only go home once a month. So all of this stuff changed. It changed our family dynamic. In fact, many native men had two families. They had, they had a family in the city and they had a family back home. <clears throat> that was the circumstance with my family. So, all of this stuff changes in, in terms of how we live off territory versus on territory. Of course, we also had, you know, the role the residential schools had in, in breaking up the families. And what followed residential schools was also foster care and adoption and all that. So we had a whole lot of native kids who were being taken from homes because we didn't have opportunities back home. And because we had already had a hundred years of residential schools that broke up the whole family dynamic. So we could, it was easy to, to, to look at a child and say, well, that child's gonna be better off being raised by white people, native people. They don't have any opportunities on the territory. Um, their, their parents don't have good parenting skills because <laughs> that was ripped away from them during residential schools. So it was real easy for social services at the state level to to grab kids off of off, off of native territories and and put them in into white homes over into foster care and it's one of these strange you know relationships that native people and and non-native people have had there's, there's there's almost like this affinity that white folks had towards native people 
especially if they could view us through their own lens of innocence, like like a child. So, lots of white families wanted to have a had, wanted to have a native child. I mean, Buffy Saint Marie, one of the more famous um, uh, you know native recording artists, she was raised by white people. It took her years to 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 really hone back in onto her own native identity because she wasn't raised with it. And we see a lot of native people who are successful who were raised by white people because that was a better opportunity for them in, in terms of education, in terms of you know financial success. And so as those people become successful and they try to reconnect with native people, they start to realize in spite of all the opportunities that, that they gained by being raised by affluent white people, they too have, you know, are victims of assimilation, victims of, of essentially a genocide. But we don't view them as the poor victims because, because they're not financially poor. But all of this stuff changes. So today, as I look at, you know, the success that some native um, people in, in, uh, in film or television or even music are having, a lot of that success is, has been made possible because they did because they weren't living on native territories. They were raised by white people. White people supported them and, and, and supported their education and their pursuit of education and their pursuit of career. Now I'm not saying there aren't incredibly talented people who have had success coming from native territories. There have been, but the opportunities and the ability to pursue that, you know, their, their skill sets has been significantly challenged. Look, I, ju I just heard a, a bit to, uh, about um, comedians, native comedians. And there was a, you know, Charlie Hill is one of these guys that uh, may be the, the first native person who, who struck out as a native comedian. He wasn't the first. In fact, you know, by many accounts, uh, Will Rogers, who was Cherokee, um, wasn't necessarily called a comedian. They referred to more as a humorist, but he was also a writer. But he used humor and wit, comedy, to point out inequities in the United States. So although he was native, and he, and he always made very clear that he was native, he his message always related to Americans. So he, he, he was able to endear himself to, to white people. And, and what they thought was, man, that's, you know, the fact that he's native, you know, is, is gives them insight as, as to what we're all doing here, you know, and, and what's wrong with, you know, you know, perhaps with capitalism and, and he, he really did criticize the fact that you could have a country that was affluent as the United States with so many poor people. And of course he'd point to some of the stuff as it related to his own experience as a native person, but he always came across as, as, as wholesome and American Native American, where Charlie Hill, <laughs> Charlie Hill took his shots at white people. And, you know, I mean, and, and that's, he represented himself not as a Native American, but as a Native in America. And so that, just even that distinction, and, and, and of course, Charlie Hill came up in that era you know, coming out of civil rights and, and the sovereignty movement. And, and Charlie was also Haudenosaunee, which, uh, which probably gave him a little bit more of a, of a bite to his humor. 
but he took he he took his shots, and you know, so he was like almost like a native George Carlin, you know, somebody who could be very critical, or or even a, a, a Lenny Bruce. He he, you know, although it wasn't so much vulgarity or you know seven dirty words, he didn't mind attacking establishment, and doing it as a native person. Not just as, you know, some somebody who, who has fallen out of the establishment, but somebody who the establishment worked on. So we saw that era and, 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 there, are, and there were other comedians. And look, I, sometimes people talk about the 1490, uh, 1491s and the, the good work that they do in terms of advocating and, and if not doing parodies, but certainly you know, sarcasm and, and, and all of that about the native existence in, in a world of uh, in a world filled with white people. But we are also seeing again, that those are still now are the exceptions because we're seeing some of the most successful people, whether it's, you know, lawyers or, you know, or, you know, speakers or professors, teachers in academia, or whether it's, it's people in, in the entertainment industry. They're, they're just as shaped by the non-native, you know, whether it's because they were raised by white people or whether because, you know, uh, mixed, you know, uh, or whether it's because they, they live off territory. It changes the messaging and it also changes how we view that messaging. Look, I mean, you know, I've talked a lot about the mascot issue and, and even battling some of that in my old high school. And one of the my my biggest adversaries you know are basically you know the white privilege and and some of that associated with this idea that they could appropriate images in the first place but it's also a native family a native family who doesn't have the same connection that i have you know because of where i live and and who i'm associated with but their voice is given special privilege amongst the white people there because they are native I mean, uh, even in, in this battle, my own brother, who has, has very little connection to Native culture, he is brought up in the conversation because he favors the idea of using a Native mascot. So this idea of our shifting demographics, the fact that we have so many of our people who don't live on territory, yet still will identify as Native people, if not Native American, we, the shifting demographic starts to change not only how people view us but who is being empowered to represent our views so we while we have an identity crisis you know uh, you know some individuals do but certainly when when people are trying to identify who we are look the, the polling for instance when when annenberg does a poll on on the washington football team they say well 90 percent of native americans are okay with the word with the name redskin well who did you ask well, our polls, we, we asked people if they identified as Native American and, and they said they did. So we took them, took them at, at their word. Well, that's problematic because we, we, we not only have had this major shift in demographics because of the, the lack of opportunities that we have on our territories, but now you're letting somebody self-identify without explaining it all. Look, there has to be a methodology to say, you know, and I'm not saying that we're going to pull out a card that, you know, an ID card necessarily, but there should be some methodology to, to be able to check a few boxes to say, okay, this is how this person identified as native. And 
No, they've never lived on any of territory. My brother never lived on any of territory. Never. And doesn't associate with any of our, my, my, our relatives that are native. He lives in Texas, for crying out loud. You know, a very, very white part of Texas, I might add. But so does his voice have the same value that mine does? Well, sure, as individuals it does. But as individuals representing a people, no, it doesn't. So we have to understand the changing demographics. And, you know, look, because some people want to start identifying us by blood quantum, which, which I'm against. Or they want to identify us by, um, you, know, you know, by the federal government's determination. That's, that's not necessarily going to be, be accurate either. I think we have to understand in the oldest of ways, when, when you would ever meet somebody, the, the first way that, way that you would um, introduce yourself is, is whose family you were from. And so that family and then ultimately the community relationship is what de defines you a little bit more. Then, then what, a blood quantum or even ju just your last name? You know, and of course, <laughs> names are another thing. Look, we have, all, we have all kinds of people out there who you just, just rip off names. And next thing you know, you're, you're crying eagle or you're lone wolf or you're, you're, you know, you're all these, these, these great names that people just, you know, stick on their Facebook pages, which oftentimes are, are, are as illegitimate as any other claim they can make to being native American or native. But see, this is, this is the challenge. So not only do we have an identification problem, but we also have a shifting demographics. And why do we have that shift in demographics? Let me go back to that. The reason is because our territories are impoverished, not by accident. They were designed to be impoverished. Policy is what U.S. policy, state policy, ensured that there would be less opportunities on native territories. And when we've carved something out, when we started to say, oh, look, we, we have a regulatory advantage over, uh, over non-native communities around us. We were, we were immediately met by, by a tax, whether, and I said a tax, not a tax, but, 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 but both. So while, whether we're fighting New York State over taxation or whether we carve out some other industry like gaming, and we've done this for many years, we were doing bingo halls and, um, and, you know, we had slot machines on our territories long before the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. But when that came in, all of a sudden, you know, we've, we've been forced into being bedfellows with the state. So everything that we've carved out that was designed to, um, to plug us into that U.S. capitalist system, the idea of marketing something that the non-native will purchase, whether it's you know, uh, gaming or entertainment or whether it's, uh, whether it's a product that they consume. So that too began to shift our demographics because we started tailoring our marketability to the non-native people. So whether it's a, a, you know, a product or a service. So even that starts to change our demographics as, as we live on, on territory. So we have an identity issue. We have a demographics issue. We also have, you know, when we, we, we talk about poverty or we talk about income or, you know, or wealth, we're talking about money. 
So we're talking about quality of life that is being measured in terms of dollars and cents. And that that has a big impact. It has a big impact on 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 how you're raising your children, the, the direction that you that you that we push them, how the schools push them in a direction, and how we are going to you know see them measure themselves. I mean, look, as kids, you're going to go to school and you're going to know who the wealthy kids and the poor kids are. So that becomes an, an, an immediate identifier. But then you also start to measure people in terms of grade scores. Well, who's getting the A's? Who's getting the B's? Who's getting the D's? And, and so we, we have all of these metrics for measuring who we are in terms of success and, or, or strife. And we as, our own, we as the, 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 the parents, the grandparents, the, the community leaders, we aren't there to make sure that our that our children aren't aren't being beat down by uh, by these systems that aren't systems of our own creation. They are systems that we have become complicit in, and part of that is because again of of the shifting demographics. So we we have we we got pushed over a cliff you know, with, with colonization, we, we got, we got huddled onto these remote areas that were not necessarily conducive to, um, to, to having a, a good quality of life. So whether it was, you know, due to the trail of tears or trails of tears or having our, our, our territories reduced in such in size so significantly that, that being able to sustain ourselves become difficult or, and the relationship that we would have with the outside communities was, was very, very strained. I mean, look, even as I, where I live here on the Cattaraugus Territory of Santa Nation, I only need to talk to people who are my age or a little older who can say, look, we never went into Gowanda. We never went into Irving or Silver Creek. We weren't welcome there. We weren't welcome when we went into town. So we, so, so we didn't go. And then when we did go, we felt like we had to, we had to be intimidating because we were intimidated. So I hear the stories of, of, of the guys who were my age and older and how difficult. I mean, and look, and this even gets into, into things like school and athletics and that kind of stuff. And my own children experienced here. I mean, we know they experienced racism from, from coaching, or, you know, from coaches and from teachers, from school administrators. I you know I've talked about, you know, just the idea that my, my son wanted to wear an eagle feather and his, and his cap when he graduated. And it would take several classes after that, almost an, uh, you know a, another decade since my, since my son graduated, that the idea that Native people could could represent themselves as Native people when they graduated from high school that was a very difficult battle. And of course, at first it starts out with just an eagle feather, and then it turns into people wanting to wear regalia when they when they graduate. So all of that stuff changes, and. And we have a lot of pressure that we have to, you know, uh, withstand while we're trying to attend these these non-native schools or these schools that are public schools, where our kids are always going to be in the extreme minority, almost always. And even if you have the luxury of being on a on a territory that has a native school, if any of those kids go off to college that you know that only increases the amount of culture shock when when our kids leave our territories look we've had some we've had some kids that were phenomenal athletes who never had any success at, uh, after after high school why because it was too much of a culture shock 
So even if they went off and played college, now I'm not saying, look, we, we have some that are proving that wrong today. You know, Zeddy Williams and, and others who have, who've gone off to college to play, you know, lacrosse and, and other sports that, that, that they've demonstrated great success. You know, some, some uh, high school basketball players, girls and, uh, and boys who have demonstrated their prowess on, on the court. But it becomes increasingly difficult when they go off to college. And and even that much more difficult if they do reach you know the the level to, to play professional sports, because it is such a culture shock. And and the idea that what they grew up with here on a territory, and and the challenges that they always met off territory, those challenges only increase even if they do have some uh, have some success, even if it's financial success, business success, and. Oftentimes, the, the people that Native people are competing against are oftentimes other Native people who didn't grow up on a Native territory. So they're, they're more polished when it comes to their, you know, because they have Harvard Law degrees. Their parents, their white, their, the, the, their white parents who raised them, you know, you know pushed them. And of course, our people are capable. We're not genetically incapable of, of you know, of having academic or financial success, but it's all about changing the environment and changing our identity. And, and it's interesting because as I said earlier, when I look at some of these, uh, some native people who have been raised, raised off territory and oftentimes raised by even affluent white people, they struggle with their identity, even with, with this, with, in spite of their success. And, and I've seen it. I've seen it in um, Native activists who sometimes have law degrees you know, or sometimes have, uh, you know, you know, business degrees or they or they, you know, even as they, they practice medicine or psychology, and all these all these other you know, professions there, they become very challenged when it comes to trying to live a native life that they didn't grow up with. And and again, there's a certain tension that exists between the you know the native person who grew up on a territory and the ones who grew off a territory. I, I'm I'm having that tension with with a family that I, that I grew up with over the mascot issue back in, in in my old high school. But it's not because of you know because I I don't care for the people. It's just that the, the whole view that we have because of our experience changes, and. Unlike some people who grow up off territory who are trying to become a part of a native community, you have some who said, no way, I don't, I don't want that. In fact, I'm, I'm just, part of my success is having gotten off the reservation, as it said. So this, this is the challenge. But I think what we have to recognize, though, as native people is, for, for one thing, we have to have a better system for understanding who are who who we are as as a, as a people you know is it enough to some for somebody to have a a a blood quantum to identify themselves i mean i know that this is a challenge even on look even here on seneca nation territory there's oftentimes this debate on on who should collect um annuities or the or the the gaming revenue that you know, so they 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 start to put it into effect well you at least have to come in and register for your checks so you at least have to come to territory because otherwise you could have no connection to the community itself 
And so the this, this whole debate about the relationship that that a native person has and the community that they are affiliated or the nation that they are affiliated with. Well, what does that affiliation mean? Does it mean just that they have an ID card? Or and that they can that they get a, you know, a distribution from or some benefit from the native territory? Well, what do they contribute back in? See, that's where there has to be a bit of a challenge and 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 a thought. A thought on and to what what do you serve to your nation? What role do you play to your nation or your native community versus receiving something? And, and are, can you really identify with native people if you have no connection other than a check that you get, you know, once a quarter or, or now once a month or whatever. So this is, this is the challenge. So we have to, uh, we have to recognize that we not only have a shifting demographic because we're trying to redefine success as a native person. And hopefully that pendulum swings back the other way. And we start to say, no, we're going to measure success by quality of life, not by dollars and cents. That's, that ends up being part of the challenge. But we have to recognize that with 70% of our population living off territory, that how we are represented in the world around us changes because of that demographic shift. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that we have to write that 70% off. I'm, I'm not suggesting that because they too are victims. They, in, in fact, they may be the biggest victims because they have been pushed into this assimilation more so than perhaps the rest of us who are struggling perhaps on our territory. So look, I'm not offering the, the answer here. I'm just posing the question. So, and, and I think that even as we look on our territories, we're, as I said earlier, we're, we see the haves and the have nots. And, and while some of those lie right along, you know, whether they work for the, the native government or not, they also sometimes can be divided amongst those who have come up with businesses that cater to the outside market. So that ends up shifting some of our, our views and our perceptions. These are all the questions. And I think as we have the conversation, we'll come up with some of the answers. I want to thank you for listening. I'm John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh. <laughs>